This is Katie Zapanta. And this is Christina Pullen. And we're here to introduce episode seven of our podcast, Tartans Watch the Watchmen. The title of our podcast comes from a line directly from the Watchmen comic, Who Will Watch the Watchmen? Our answer, Tartans Will Watch the Watchmen. The creator of the original Watchmen comic, Alan Moore, said that this question is part of the overarching theme of the Watchmen series, which is, what are the effects of power upon society? A popular question we've been asking our society is, what are the effects of power on women specifically? That's right, Christina. In this episode, we explore the intersectionality of women and Watchmen and how their characters embody themes and stereotypes that move the show. Today's hosts are you, Christina, Caroline Holmes, and Clytesy's son. We have some great topics in store for you. Caroline Holmes is a freshman dramaturgy major who took this class to learn how she can apply her critical thinking skills to modern day film and television. Clytesy's son is a senior and triple majoring in creative writing, decision science, and statistics. Clytesy joined this course because she loved the Watchmen TV show trailer, and she was also interested in the project-oriented structure of the class. Christina, my fellow guest here, is a senior majoring in professional writing in international relations and politics. Christina joined us because, in her words, who doesn't want to watch an HBO show for homework? She's also heard great things about our producer, or professor, Kathy M. Newman. The topic you're introducing seems especially relevant in today's times, and considering the diversity of the cast, especially amongst the women, what do you think people will take away from this episode? I hope our listeners gain a better understanding of why the portrayal of women in power matters in film. Throughout the episode, my partners and I dive deep into Angela Abar, Lady True, and Agent Lori Blake. What were their goals? What were their motives? How did their race come into play when developing their storyline? And what do their actions say about who they are? This episode also talks a lot about how these characters interact with each other and touches on the stereotypes placed upon Angela as a Black woman, Lady True as an Asian woman, and Lori as a white woman. Yes, that's right. I'm excited to share all of these interesting findings. Here's just a friendly reminder that there are spoilers in this episode, so if you have never seen HBO's Watchmen, go watch it now. We hope you enjoy our seventh episode of Tartan's Watch the Watchmen. I'm Professor Newman, and I'm here today with three students who are Uh, producing our podcast, Tartans Watch the Watchmen. Caroline, can you say your full name? Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Holmes. Great. Clytesy, can you tell us your full name? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Clytesy's son. Thank you. And uh, Christina, uh, tell us your full name. Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Pullen. Awesome. All right. So, Carolyn, I'm going to start with a question for you. What first drew you to the topic of women and power in HBO's Watchmen? Yeah, I think it's a natural pull because the show um, really seems to be intentional about making strong women characters. That's um, pretty obvious in the way that they center 
um, Angela Abar, Lori Blake, and Lady True. Um, and I think I had a desire to really kind of interrogate and look critically at how effective those depictions were um, because it's something that the entire industry is trying to go towards. And so if they did it well, then we need to learn from them. And if not, then, you know, we can find ways to continue to improve. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point uh, to think about. Uh, HBO's Watchmen is something we can learn from uh, both both the good and the bad. Um, Christina, what can you add to this answer? How did you get interested in the topic of women and Watchmen? I also believe that it was just a really strong narrative to put a female superhero as the one of the main character of an entire superhero show um, when historically women have not been portrayed as superheroes and if they have, they've been extremely sexualized, which I don't think Angela Abar was. Yeah, I, I really like your point about these characters not being uh, overly sexualized. I mean, there are a few sex scenes and there's sort of hints and gestures towards sex, but that is not the main kind of focus uh, when they're on screen uh, at all. Um, Kleitzie, so I have the same question for you. At what point while you were watching HBO's Watchmen, did you think that you might want to research the topic of the female leads? Um, I think it was mainly through Angela's uh, character development. I think in the beginning, we see her react to changes in her life, such as her grandpa reappearance. And she's always been a little suppressive of her emotions. And she sometimes reacts violently to any two big changes in her life. And I think the point where I decided that um, I think Angela's character is a little too deep is when um, the romantic relationship between Angela and um, Dr. Manhattan was revealed. So I, I think personally, I wasn't really convinced with their relationship because it because Cal is such a different character than Dr. Manhattan. And I asked the question, who are you actually in love with? And I think it wasn't really explained in the show. And I think Angela has all these relationships around her that I really didn't understand how, why she react to it. So um, that's when I decided I want to take a, a deeper look into these female characters. I think that's such an interesting point that uh, kind of you realized when they needed to give Angela this sort of romantic story that then something about her power uh, kind of receded or diminished at that point. So Christina, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, the research that you presented to the class was on the problem of the women in Watchmen falling into some stereotypes that I didn't see the first few times I watched the show. I just didn't notice them. So I wanted you to start by telling us the three characters you focused on and if you could describe how each of them comes across as sort of uh, we're using this um, adjective a lot as badass uh, in their own ways. Sure. I mean, if you just take a look at Angel Abar's character, she is this head of household um, kind of figure. So she goes out in the job and does some really dangerous work as a life career and then comes home to take care of her husband and her children. And I also think that her just her personality, she's just really strong and forward thinking. She's very intuitive. So she's just this really cool character who works really hard and 
you know, is a force to be reckoned with. And as for Lady True, I think, you know, Lady True is this evil, mysterious kind of being. She's super smart. She's built this entire Elon Musk-like empire by herself. You know, you got to respect it. So respect the hustle from her, regardless of what your opinion is on Lady True. And I think for Agent Laurie Blake, you know, she is this witty kind of investigator who sees, sees through all the bullshit of people. And I think she's just really uh, this really smart lady who has really good intentions. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you've done a great job of describing what makes them seem so tough and cool to us. Um, so could you then talk a little bit about how you saw them falling into some stereotypes uh, that maybe even the writers themselves didn't realize. Sure. So I think the, the more obvious stereotypes is that, you know, Angela Abar is this Black character who knows, who's really good at combat, who fights a lot. I think, it, you know, obviously Lady True as an Asian woman is really good at math and science. Big stereotype. And then we have this uh, white lady, Agent Blake, who whose character surrounds her past love life. And, you know, like her main goal is to fight for justice, but justice is always, always has this blurred line throughout the show. So what is she really fighting for? And I think that might've been one of the more subtle stereotypes for Agent Lori Blake. I think another couple of subtle stereotypes for, for, you know, Angela, for Angela, for sure, is that she the whole time throughout the show, she is a superhero saving the lives of her family and of other people. And she still gets rescued by her husband at the end. So towards the end, she's still, you know, saved by the man. She's still the damsel in distress. I think another subtle stereotype of Lady True was that her ambition led to her downfall. You know, you have this really ambitious woman who tries so hard and works it's, her life's work is still not enough to do what she really wants to do. And I think that's just when you look at the reality in the world today of women's ambition leading to their downfall, downfall, I think that's just a big stereotype that people see. Why can't a woman succeed at the end? Why can't she reap the, fruit, the fruits of her labor? Yeah, you're reminding me, Christina, when Hillary Clinton was running for president in 2016, uh, it came out that everybody likes a woman when she has the powerful job, but they dislike her when she's trying to get the powerful job. That really seems to fit your description of Lady True uh, in uh, HBO's Watchmen. Yeah, and you know, at the beginning, like I said, she's this badass character who has built this empire. And I loved her. I When I first met her, I thought, you know, this is a character I want to get to know. And then when she turns around and becomes this evil person trying to take over the world, we just characterize her as this evil person. And I found myself falling into that those biases, even as a woman. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the show invites us to kind of turn on her in a certain way. Exactly. 
So Kleitze, I'd like to come to you now. Uh, you had this really interesting Natalie Portman quote in your uh, class presentation. Could you tell us that quote and talk about why you chose it to reflect on HBO's Watchmen? Yeah, for sure. So Natalie Portman said in an interview, the fallacy in Hollywood is that if you're making a feminist story, the woman kicks ass and wins. That's not feminist, that's macho. A movie about a weak, vulnerable woman can be feminist if it shows a real person that we can empathize with. Um, I think I chose this quote to be kind of like the thesis that I want to present uh, when dissecting Watchmen's female characters. I think we were introduced with Angela A. Barr, Lady True, and Laurie's characters. They're all very strong and powerful women. Um, but I think in some way they all felt short in um, having a 3D character and having a vulnerable, vulnerable part of them shown through their uh, plot themes. Yeah, I, I love that quote. And I think it's really interesting because we equate strength with what we uh, sort of stereotype as masculine qualities of strength, uh, the ability to fight, uh, the ability to sort of take pain, um, the ability not to show vulnerability or weakness. So Clancy, in your research for class, you focused on a scene between Angela and Lady True. Could you just kind of take us back to that moment and tell us what was happening in the scene that you picked? and how you interpreted that scene. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was the scene between, um, or Lady Chu and Angela Abar, they were sitting down and talking. And the conversation was about them trying to confront each other with things like new information they gain with each other and does not help each other stand. And so Angela was asking Lady Chu about what she did to Beyond. Um, in that case, Lady Chu actually um, forced somebody else's memory onto Beyond to change Beyond into actually her mom. And um, Lady Chu learned that Cow is actually Dr. Manhattan. So they're trying to get these information out of each other in a very full of tension scene. Um, but what I interpret from that scene is, although there were a lot of tension, I think it was an intentional choice to, for them to not show any emotions when they're talking. Uh, if you don't know the context of the story, you almost would think that they're talking about some random thing that don't they don't care about. When in reality, they're actually talk they're talking about their loved ones. So I think that suppression of emotion is very similar to this macho stereotype that we impose on um, powerful figure in general. We kind of equate this no emotion as um, somebody gaining power. Yeah. So. Uh Clancy, what are some conclusions that you drew uh, about Lady True? And what are some stereotypes uh, that Americans have about Asians? And, and how did Lady True sort of fit into some of these boxes? Mm -hmm. um, so Christina talked about um, how Lady True has a lot of ambitions and in Watchmen that actually led to her downfall. And I think um, I also see that aspect and I framed it as Lady True is very smart in terms of she's just good at like technology, but she's not very reflective. So she created all these very um, good technologies such as nostalgia. And um, she would say something like, I created nostalgia, but people abused it so they can live in the past. 
but I hope people can live in the future. However, Lady Chu herself also fell for nostalgia um, and used it to recreate her mother on her daughter. So I think that was a huge contradiction on her part. It just shows to me that she's smart only in a very single-minded sense, and she's not all-rounded wisdom, full of wisdom um, or intelligence in life. Um, so I think that's a huge stereotype for Asians is that Asians good at math. And another one is that she actually recreated her mom, which is um, sort of funny because people always think that Asians want to satisfy their parents' uh, expectation of them. And think that's uh, those were two big uh, stereotypes that were forced upon Lady Chu. And I think she really didn't need that. And um, on top of those, I think all three characters, all three female characters of Watchmen didn't really have um, a sort of, for me, a sympathetic relationship with their, with their loved ones. I, I just, I wasn't convinced that they were super invested in their families or people surrounding them. Um, and I really hope to see a female character that has an over-rounded character, but also still very powerful. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. It's almost like they were trying to avoid maybe the stereotypes of women as nurturing and kind of motherly, but in doing so, they also kind of robbed them of almost like a normal level of human emotion that they would have mm -hmm. um, and connection. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I just find that fascinating. Um, Christina, I wanted to jump back to you for a minute because you uh, investigated how the actress who played Lady True, Hong Chao, uh, how she prepared for the role. And you said that she looked at billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and tried to mimic them. Yeah, so in my research, some fun facts that I learned was that the actress who played Lady True sort of looked at these majorly famous billionaires Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and more, and sort of took, took a lot of their characteristics and tried to tune that into Lady True's character, such as, you know, their narcissism, <laughs> their bluntness, their a certain, you know, obsession with space and, you know, outer space and sending things to the moon and investing a lot of money in environmental sustainability things, but also causing a lot of damage along the way. So I think they do have a lot of similar qualities to their personalities, these white male billionaires. And I think that was part of the allure of her character to see a woman, an Asian woman, embody those characteristics and be in that position. So I think that's, I can't really speak for the actress, but I would assume that that's kind of what she was trying to hone in. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's a great critique of these megalomaniacs who are almost mimicking uh, the kind of villainous uh, characters that we've seen in movies for many years. So there's a comedic aspect to it. Um, but then it also plays into what Kleitze is reminding us of, that kind of emotionless, um, I'm smarter than everybody, I know better than everybody, but it also seems like it, um, you know, they have the same um, deficiency of being able to connect in a human way. Uh, right, it's, it's almost like they're, they're above everyone else and they don't listen to others as much because they think they're smarter than everyone else. And 
you know, what is intelligence? Intelligence is different things to different people. So I think that's just an interesting way of interpreting that. Absolutely. And we've, you know, we know that there's something called emotional intelligence, but we don't see these characters displaying um, enough, enough of that. Um, so Caroline, I want to come back to you and your research. Uh, you uh, saw uh, HBO's Watchmen through a really interesting lens. You looked at a book called White Feminism. And uh, so I was wondering if you could describe that book and define white feminism for us. Yeah, so White Feminism is by Koa Beck, um, and this is a more recent book about white feminism, but this is a theory that's been present um, really, I think, since particularly the 70s when it was very obvious that the women's rights movement was not intersectional. Um, and what that means is that uh, white feminism indicates a group of feminists who are fighting for women's rights, but particularly for cis, um, heterosexual, wealthier middle-class white, white women. Um, and so this has really been called out in third wave feminism um, as being hypocritical. Because if we're gonna fight for equality for one, we should be fighting for equality for all is, is the argument there. Um, and so then when you apply that to television, um, I have a quote here from Z uh, Zeba Blay saying, if white feminism is feminism that isn't intersectional, then white fem feminist TV is television that filters the world through the prism of the white female experience in a way that suggests it is not just an experience, but the only experience. And so we start to get into these issues of um, representation, um, stereotyping, um, and just really looking at things through the lens of white women um, only in television. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I first heard you apply this idea to HBO's Watchmen, I was like, oh, but they've really tried to, the creators really tried to center Regina King, this amazing African-American actress, uh, you know, as the lead character, as kind of our main protagonist. So, so tell me a little bit about how you saw white feminism playing out in HBO's Watchmen. Yeah, I think it's very different. I don't think that HBO's The Watchmen qualifies as white feminist TV because they really did try to incorporate different perspectives. What I noticed was that the relationship between Lori Blake and Angela Abar um, started to touch on some of these issues of power dynamics that come up very frequently in the workplace between white women and women of color. Um, and I think that this comes through in the way that Lori Blake um, undermines Angela's authority and um, reputation in her place of work um, in a way that ultimately kind of discredits her and results in Angela's complete distrust of Lori as a potential ally. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. You zeroed in on their relationship to look at, uh, at kind of how we're seeing these characters, who we're rooting for in these moments. And I think the first scene that you did a close reading of is one where Lori brings Angela a cup of coffee, which seems like kind of a gesture of goodwill. Um, how did you interpret that scene? 
Yeah, so I think this is a really key moment because it's the longest scene we have at this point of just Angela and Lori together. And this is immediately following like a huge crisis um, of this bomb going off and Angela saving the day and stepping in. Um, And Lori actually takes the coffee from her partner. So first of all, we know that like she hasn't gone out of her way to purchase this coffee. Um, She's coming in and using this as an olive branch. Um, She passes the coffee to Angela and starts to have this conversation. Um, And she puts on this veil of innocence that she, um, while she's talking about Judd Crawford, and she's kind of discussing, well, I just don't know this, that, and the other. And then ultimately she reaches her goal of pointing out, well, I, I looked in to Judd Crawford's closet and there was a secret compartment and it was empty. Well, do you know, do you know what's in it? And all of a sudden she kind of flips the conversation on Angela because she she loses this nice girl persona and is looking at her as though you know I know you know something tell me what it is and that immediately puts up um Angela's defenses and rightfully so because Lori's come in here under false pretenses right and um you know Lori then gives this huge threatening monologue um trying to intimidate Angela which results in Angela pouring out the coffee, creating her own gesture, saying, I see through this facade that you're trying to put on and I'm I'm not buying it. I'm not gonna be your ally. Um, And I I think that that moment really ended any opportunity for the two to have genuine allyship. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, I, I love your interpretation of that scene. Um, because we see Lori going from sort of almost like fake friend um, mm-hmm. to then actually interrogating Angela, like putting her kind of on the spot. And we we don't understand how powerful they could be if they work together. And the scene doesn't really allow us to see that either. Um, and so then the other scene you look closely at was one in which Lori Blake and Angela are driving the car and talking about trauma you pointed out, and I hadn't noticed this the first time I saw it, when the camera pulls back, we see that Lori's male colleague, Agent Petey, has been there the whole time. And so how did you interpret this scene through the lens of white feminism? Yeah, so the key here is that Lori is really picking at Angela, um, her personal history, her personal trauma, without any form of consent. Um, She's bringing up her time in Vietnam, Uh, What happened to her parents? Well, why do you wear the mask? What pain is it covering up? And while she's having this conversation, we assume that it's just the two of them. Um, But even still, I think that if it were just the two of them in a car, I would consider that to be inappropriate because, you know, it is really Angela's decision whether or not she wants to offer up that very personal um, information. Um, And then it just kind of makes it that much worse when it's revealed that a third party is in the car and Lori is trying to get Angela to reveal personal information to a man she doesn't even know or have any reason to trust in addition to this white woman who has undermined her authority and um, you know rejected her desire to remain anonymous Um, and I think that that is really important. Um, Lori Blake 
multiple times, and this is kind of a point of contention between the two, is that, well, because Lori Blake doesn't believe in vigilanteism, she continually exposes Angela's true identity rather than referring to her as Sister Knight, as she, as she desires. Um, and I think that this ties to issues of, you know, identity um, and the, the right that a person has um, to be identified as they so choose and, and reveal the information that they feel comfortable revealing in any, any situation. Um, and so with all of that being said, I just think um, Lori doesn't treat Angela well, and she loses a amazing ally in that. Um, and, and they're unable to kind of save each other because Lori has put up so many walls and, and really attacked Angela in a number of ways that are passive aggressive. Yeah, what you're making me think, Caroline, is that the the problem of vigilantism seems so small compared to the problem of white supremacy in those first few episodes and so Lori's obsession with the law uh just feels like she's really missing the point of what they could do together absolutely yeah I definitely agree I think it it just it seems that much more of an attack on Angela personally because you're not focusing on the goal at hand um, and I just want to say with all of this, I, I hope that the intention on the part of Watchmen was to create a critique of white feminism by pointing out the ways that Lori could have allied with Angela. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about that later, but um, that's why I say this isn't a form of white feminist television, um, but hopefully a critique of such practices that we see you know, every day in our society. Yeah, I think I definitely want to give the creators the benefit of the doubt because I do think they made they they broke a lot of conventions and a lot of stereotypes, even as they fell into some that they might not have realized uh, they were doing so. And Clytesy, I want to come back to you because I feel like we our class, our podcast has been pretty hard on Watchmen, and I think in in many cases rightly so. One thing that Watchmen did teach me about was there was a real life Lady True in third century Vietnam. And in the Watchmen, uh, Lady True's mother says the quote that um, the real Lady True is associated with. Um, and this is a scene where uh, Lady True's mother, who is a uh, the house cleaner for Adrian Veidt, steals his sperm and inseminates herself. And she says, uh, uh, I'd like to ride storms, kill orcas in the open sea, drive out the aggressors, reconquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom, and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever man, which is this quote associated with what I think of as like this third century superhero of the real Lady True. And is there anything you think Watchmen did well when it, when it came to their leading ladies? Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, that quote is definitely very interesting. And I think it shows a different culture uh, than the American culture. So I think in the original comic books, the Vietnam culture was not really present because it's only, it's more like a background setting. So I felt like it could be any other Oriental country. It could be in Japan, it could be in China, um, but it just so happened to be Vietnam. But adding Lady Chu and the background story of Lady True really helped us to 
um, understand a different culture and how that plays into the modern day America that it, the show mainly set in and sort of intertwine these two cultures together in this show. And I think that's what Watchmen did really well. Great, um, I'm gonna just uh, uh, stay with you for a couple more questions, uh, Kleitze. Um, do you think if the writer's room had included writers of Asian descent, that that might've made a difference? Yeah, but I, I wanna qualify that sentence with it has to be good writers of Asian descent. So I think, um, I think, like I said earlier, like checking more boxes isn't really gonna help Watchmen show to be better. So if somebody just putting labels of this is what it likes to be an Asian and then into forcing it onto characters, I don't think a culture would really shine through these um, piles of, of labels. I think culture really just live in real characters. If, um, if a writer with Asian descent could make Lady Chu a better character that, um, people can sympathize with, then I think that will make a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I do think when I've heard Lindelof talk about how he built his writer's room, he did really have kind of writing chops and storytelling ability at the, at the top of his list. Um, but I do wonder if they might've missed an opportunity to recruit uh, Asian American writers who I know are out there. Um, as a as a way, you know, people who may have caught some of the things that I feel like the three of you really were able to see. So, Carolyn, uh, tell us a little bit about how you think Watchmen compares to other TV shows that have white feminism more at their core, and if you could maybe describe a couple of those shows and and compare and contrast them to Watchmen. Yeah, so a couple of examples of white feminism in TV was in Game of Thrones. There's the killing off of Misandai, who's the series' most prominent woman of color. Um, in general, that show really doesn't feature uh, nearly a proportional number of women of color. Um, and in A Handmaid's Tale, there's the death of um, a Martha um, and the abuse of Natalie. These are two women of color um, to black women in the show, which is predominantly white. Um, and it is actually caused inadvertently, but by the main character who's a white woman. And then she does not assume guilt and actually pushes it off onto another woman of color who then suffers because of that guilt. Um, so these are just some of the examples of, of, you know, really big, um, grievances in, in television, um, but in general, it has to do with, with a lack of, of representation. Um, and you can see that kind of across the board that, that all tele most television shows that are featuring women in a, you know, great light are struggling to feature women of color. Um, and I think with Watchmen, they are really trying to subvert that trend, um, and, you know, bring women of color into these leading roles, roles that are powerful and dynamic and engaging. Um, and we found some issues there, but I definitely think that they're making significant progress. But there never comes a point that Lori has to come to terms with how she failed herself and her society by, be by not being a good ally 
to Angela. Um, because when it comes down to it, I really believe that if the two women had been able to truly ally, that Dr. Manhattan could have been saved and they really could have figured out so much sooner um, what was going on because they both had perspectives and information that the other needed. Um, and so I, I, I think because white feminism is such a, a new topic to so many and a lens that not everybody is going to be looking at, it's, it's really easy for those scenes to come across as normal or acceptable because Lori never has to kind of have a reckoning of like, wow, I really messed up. Um, and so that's where I, I think that they were so close to kind of showing these issues and then subverting them and, and pointing out how wrong and misguided those actions were, but they just missed the mark. I love that point that you just made, Caroline. I think it's incredibly wise of you to just take this perspective. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think it really helps me to understand. It, it could have actually resolved, I think, some of the plot problems they had in sort of getting themselves out of this season. Uh, and it might have allowed Dr. Manhattan to survive uh, or at least to pass his powers on to Angela in a way that didn't that didn't involve his complete and utter destruction. Um, so I think you've got kind of, you've got a political point, but it could have also been a storytelling point uh, that might've solved a problem uh, that, that they created for themselves by making them almost uh, into love rivals for Dr. Manhattan's affections instead of um, allies who are going to solve this problem of, of white supremacy together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it would have been a really interesting arc to see at least two of these leading ladies end up as, as allies. Um, because as it stands, we have one that ends in a horrible death and two that are, you know, by the end of the show on different planets, and, and nowhere near coming together. And I, I just, you know, the, what kind of a message does that send to women and girls who are watching the show that, you know, can we or should we ally together? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I love your insights. So Clytesy, kind of my wrap up question. Uh, if, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the female characters in Watchmen, what would it be? Um, I think I would like to, I think I would just want to add more vulnerability in this woman. I think maybe a scene or two that shows them alone with themselves and they're totally open to us. I think none of the um, portraits were really, uh, I couldn't tell if the portraits were something they want to show to the world or are actually themselves. So I would really want to see them opening up. Um, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I wonder if they did that a little bit with Angela by giving her the nostalgia trip, but even there, we don't see her reflecting on her experience. We see her almost kind of re-traumatized by having to live through uh, her, her grandfather's experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I think she was more like a watcher in that thing, in the things. And then when she wakes up, it's all other mess that comes to her and she has to deal with them. I think she was bombarded with constant events and she didn't have a time to really sit down and let her emotions out. Great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Clytesy. Christina, coming back to you with, you know, uh, with I'm kind of giving you the magic wand. Uh, I gave it to Clytesy and, and Caroline used it to, uh, to, to bring uh, Lori and Angela together. If you could wave a magic wand and change something about the women in Watchmen, what would it be? I would have made it so that Angela saves Dr. Manhattan at the end. I just, first off, I love Dr. Manhattan. I think he's just such a good looking, amazing, attractive character in the show. So, um, and I also think it would have been nice to have the woman save the man for once. I think that was the biggest thing at the end that I, you know, like Caroline mentioned, they were almost there. They were almost there in this point too. So, so close. Yeah, you're reminding me um, of one of my guilty pleasure movies, which is Pretty Woman, uh, starring Julia Roberts uh, and Richard Gere. And they unite at the end of the movie. He climbs up, like she's in kind of a crappy apartment building in LA and he climbs up the fire escape. And uh, he says something about saving her and, and Julie Roberts says, you know, in, in my fantasy, you know, the, the princess saves the prince right back. And so, you know, we don't have that saving right back uh, at the end of. Yeah. Watching. And it, it was also just like, this is the second time that he saves her and probably, I mean, more times that I just can't think about, but completely agree. I have to say that the three of you have really changed how I saw the show. As you know, I was so kind of smitten uh, and taken with the the really tough uh, political story that Watchmen integrated into the superhero story and giving us that vision of the race massacre in Tulsa 21 and really taking on the, 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 the idea of the rise of white supremacy, which of course we do have in our own world, that in some ways I was a little bit blinded to some of these other weak points. And I think the three of you have really done a great job of giving Watchmen creators their due, but also showing where they missed some opportunities uh, to do better. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Professor Newman. Christina, that was a very informative dialogue. I'm glad you were able to separate the intent of the writers from the actual outcome of the series. So tell me, of Angela, Lady True, and Lori, which woman did you relate to the most in HBO's Watchmen? I felt I could relate to all of these women in one way or another. And I think that just speaks highly for the writers in the room. But if I had to choose one, I'd have to go with Lady True. Going to Carnegie Mellon, having to be this hyper-focused and driven person to succeed, all the while being surrounded by computer geniuses, I found my myself relating to her unapologetic confidence when talking about her achievements and her excitement over tech innovation. I also took the Harry Potter sorting hat quiz 
and got placed in Slytherin. And I would bet good money that she'd be right there with me. That's so funny because I am a Slytherin as well. And I think I would have Lady True as my favorite as well. (laughs) Caroline and Clydesy also did an amazing job. And I can't wait to see what's in store for our next episode. We hope you learned a lot from this discussion. Thanks for listening today. We're a brand new podcast and we feel grateful to you, our listeners. To listen to the next episode, check out our location here on Spotify, Anchor, or go to lps.library.cmu.edu slash WP slash Watchmen. See you next time on Tartan's Watch the Watchmen. (laughs) 